Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we can talk a little Trump indictment coming up. We can talk a little of the latest wrinkle in the Hunter Biden, Biden crime family story coming up also. Got a little montage of other Republican candidates and their reaction to the latest indictment. Almost all of them, in one way or another, coming to Trump's defense, which is interesting. Um, We can talk more about that on the way. And Alan Dershowitz, the lawyer, who is on Fox all the time, and I feel like has gone a little far down the road of always... You know, he wrote a book about how Al Gore won the 2000 election. I mean, that was his hmm. that was his claim to fame for that for a he, long time. He, he didn't, Alan. <laughs> well, should have. And that was his railroading and stuff. But anyway, he's you know, a Fox favorite right now. And I've always liked his stuff. But he said something pretty extraordinary on Steve Bannon's podcast today about how he predicts these trials are going to go. And we can get to that also. Hmm. My only quibble with uh, everything you just said is that the new wrinkle in the Hunter Biden story is not a wrinkle, it's a mountain range. Mm, wow. Mm. See, I underplayed Stay it. With us. Stay with us. So are you familiar with this whole idea that they figured out a couple of years ago when it comes to your weight that somehow your brain gets a set point? It's like if you work in an office building where somebody controls the thermostat somewhere else, it's set at a certain temperature and you have no say in it, and it's just going to be that temperature, your brain does that with your weight. At some point, for some reason, that they don't know. I mean, the last paragraph in this article, this new Wall Street Journal thing is, researchers want to figure out what makes the set point go up for some people, leading to obesity. For the moment, that's a black box. We don't know why the set point is so high for some people. 
Mm-hmm. But the way it works, and man, you, you fully buy into this idea, right, don't you? I certainly Oh, 100%, do. yeah. As a guy who's struggled with my weight since I was 17 years old, yes. You've got a set point that gets set somehow, and then if you uh, get below that set point, like you, you eat really good and you exercise like crazy, your body goes into full... We've got to gain weight mode and does everything it can to get back to the set point. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're not eating very much, it's going to hang on to every dang calorie. <laughs> it's going to lower your metabolism. It's going to do whatever it has to do to get you back to the set point, which is really depressing. It's extremely depressing, but at least you're not going to be fighting a fight you can't win, or at least in the wrong way. You know, I saw the same piece, and what really struck me is that the... They make the the point, and I think it's a good one, that the obesity epidemic is a mix of things, like virtually anything in humankind. But the one fact that stuck in my mind is they said there are 1,500 genes that are linked to weight in one way or another in your genome. 1,500. Yeah, which is amazing. So the, the big tease headline from the Wall Street Journal was the debate is settled over is it willpower or biology that causes people to be obese. Obese. Now, the article worries me a little in that, you know, and I don't think the Wall Street Journal did this, but it reads like one of the weight loss drugs wrote it practically. Um, Agreed. And and that that troubles me. Um, uh, first paragraph being Ozempic and similar drugs are transforming the world's understanding of obesity. It isn't so much about willpower; it's about biology. The success of the powerful new class of diabetes and weight loss drugs shows how important chemistry is to determining a person's weight. The brain is the body's chief chemist, regulating appetite and making it difficult for many people to shed pounds to keep them off. The brain determines how much fat it wants people to carry, according to years of research bolstered by the new drugs. Saying that on these new drugs, they are able to combat that dial setting to where you're not. You're just not hung. You're just not as hungry, mm-hmm. and you're not eating too much. And you're then that 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 thermostat setting it gets lowered, so you're not your body isn't going to full on. We got to get back to that weight mode, which obviously would be uh, huge. The new set point lasts as long as the patient is on the drug, according to the researcher. Patients who ate a lot before they started taking one of the drugs feel less hungry and fill up more quickly. Sometimes after just one slice of pizza, when they once ate the whole pie. This is not about willpower or personal choice, says the doctor that they uh, quote here. This is about your brain driving behaviors. Yeah, I I would not oversimplify it so much. I wouldn't either. As the headline in that sentence, that's that's too much. Again, as a guy who struggled with weight, um, I believe in the set point thing. And I thought it was more or less accepted science that if you gain a certain amount of weight, the set point changes upward. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but they make the point later in the article that obesity, the obesity epidemic is a product of old stuff and new stuff. You got your human biology that's evolved over many, many thousands or millions of years. That's the old stuff. But then they go into studies that have showed over and over again that if you eat a diet uh, heavy in, in carbs and processed foods, as opposed to vegetables, whole grains, fish and other unprocessed foods, you're going to gain a lot of weight. So it's both. And you have to be realistic. I have to eat really healthily not to gain weight. And if I eat really healthily, I can get my weight down to a pretty healthy level 
within that set point. And I'm not starving all the time. On the other hand, I'm not t- taking my shirt off in public a lot, except on the beach. Remember, I vowed to become comfortable with fat, tanned beach guy status. <laughs> Still working on that. Yeah. I'll tell you what. You know, I mentioned, uh, I think, earlier in the week that I spray tanned. <laughs> I'm you did mention lark. that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, you're a lot more comfortable with your shirt off if you're tan. Yeah, no doubt about it. I don't yeah. know if I'd well, spray tan regularly. Although, why has spray tanning got such a um, a bad stigma? Or does it? Maybe it's only in my own head. I feel like it's got a bad stigma, especially yeah, for I guys. Think um, among the more down-to-earth, like you and your people, the idea no. of getting sprayed with paint to look tan <laughs> is a little, you know, silly. On, on the other hand, well, maybe the answer is to just don't worry about being tan. But on the other hand, uh, taken in sun is horrible. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's like smoking all day or something. It's just a terrible health choice. Oh, yeah. There's no comparison. I mean, in terms of just being healthy, yeah, go in there and get spray painted. Wouldn't it make more sense for all 20-somethings out there who want to be tan to spray tan as opposed to laying in the sun? It'd be better for Or you. fake baking, which is terrible. I guess, is that what they call spray tan? I'm talking about the, the, the beds. The tanning beds are terrible, too. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why you would do that. The spray tan, I did it because um, we had done it. Did you do it or did I only I do it years ago? That was like no, I've tw- never done it. That was like twenty five years ago. Somehow it came up. Maybe it was when that episode of Friends was on, and some uh, spray tan place called up and said, "Hey, we'll do it for you, so you can try it out." And I went and and uh, it was I was pretty orange. I mean, I was I was I looked like Donald Trump. Uh, I was quite orange, and my hands were orange, like I was an orangutan, and it was just it was not. <laughs> It's good luck. But so now I've tried it 25 years later and it was really good. I mean, I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is, I can see why people do this. I guarantee you, lots of people you know spray tan and you have no idea because it's so good now. Really? Yeah. You wow, can, you I can, had no idea. You can pick just kind of a little bit or a lot or you were, you know, on vacation for the weekend and doesn't do the fingernails and hands and all the stuff that's so weird now. It's like really good. Huh. I'll bet you you know people that do it and don't tell you because they're embarrassed by it. I guarantee you. Wow. Now, I've got the white sock feet of the frequent, frequent golfer. So, like, my shins are tanned as, 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 a, as a swimsuit model. And then my feet look like I'm wearing a fresh new pair of socks. Morgue feet, as my son calls them. Morgue feet, exactly. So I have I have experimented with various remedies for that, but none of them have worked. I, I tried this, the fake bake, or the, the spray, I should say, but that was years and years ago, and it looked hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really good now, or at least the place I went. Uh, I Were think you fully nude, uh, Jack, when you did this? Or no. Just, oh, no, okay. no. You can be, but no. That would be, that'd be weird. Well, especially because there's like a young woman down on her knees oh. with a hose spraying you. Standing there in front of her like naked? Like a circus elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's horribly emasculating, de- de- degrading. It's it's embarrassing. Um, back to the overweight thing, because I was thinking about this on something that came up last hour. If you took a picture of the beach from 1975 and mm. then had a picture of the beach now, uh, probably the first thing you'd notice is everybody's thin, like like what we would consider model thin in 1975. Everybody. Mom, dad, kids, everybody is thin, like in a a way that like only your friends who work out like crazy and eat right are now. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you notice. The other thing would be, I think everybody would be staring at some sort of device, or a lot of people would, and now, and nobody was in 1975. Zero, obviously. You'd have... Five times as many people smoking back in the day, too. True. 
true. But, but yeah, the, the, the heaviness thing would absolutely... You know, the point's been made many times. Take a look at your class picture from the 70s or 80s or whenever. There is one kid who might have been a little heavy. One. Look at a modern class picture. Right. Fifth grade, say. Dank it. And then when you get into that whole set point thing, you know... Oof. Your, your set point is probably higher than you want it to be if you're heavy as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you predict that lots of people are going to be on these weight loss drugs in the future. It's going to be like incredibly common. Yes, especially because I think they'll continue to refine them and make the side effects less prominent and and maybe find better, you know, uh, medicines, but I think so. Um I I'm not sure that's a great way to approach the obesity epidemic, but getting everybody to eat a lean chicken breast and broccoli tonight, that's not going to happen. So maybe this is better than having all sorts of people. Here we go, back to socialism, where it often ends up uh, many people who are uh, very heavy and therefore have many expensive health problems that then you know translate to higher medical costs for everybody. Maybe we're better off with Ozempic until something better comes along. Because, again, exercising three times a week, a week eating lean meats and many vegetables, it's just not going to happen. I wonder if companies won't start paying for it or or, or subsidizing it anyway. Because, in fact, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, piece about that, about how much it costs in health care, especially as you get older, if you're overweight. i got to believe it's cheaper for the company to just give you the weight loss drug than to deal with all your other health problems. Oh, 100%. Yeah, when I'm at my lower weights, my blood pressure is lower, my joints feel better, just to everything. That's interesting. We we could be looking at the beach picture we were just discussing here in five years, looking more like 1975 than 2022. But the modern version will have more spontaneous and uncontrollable bowel movements, according to some of the side effects. Is that a side effect of these drugs? I don't know about this one, but... I was mainly going for the last. <laughs> spontaneous and uncontrollable is not what I'm looking for. Yeah. No, no. Like how no. spontaneous? Boy, Joe is so spontaneous. Like, I mean, right. not in a now. good way. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be good, for instance. Kerblowing. That's <laughs> not what I'm looking for. What did Alan Dershowitz just say? I hope he's wrong. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Former President Donald Trump, the current frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024, is now, as of today, facing a total of 91 criminal counts in four separate indictments. We're numb to this. I'm numb to this. I think we're all numb to this. I think the country's numbed all of this. Yeah. Did you know 41 of those are the idiotic Alvin Bragg, yeah, Stormy right. Daniels yeah. crap? So, right. yeah. Yeah. So that's an. They're using that number to make it more dramatic. Oh, yeah. Well, if you drop it down to 50, it's still pretty extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. For a guy who's the <laughs> leading candidate. Yeah. True. You know, I want to I want to talk about a conversation I had yesterday with a focus group of two, uh, two people about this issue. But it, it, it just it puts me in. I'm, I'm confused about how we should handle this over the next year and a half. But to what Brett Baird just pointed out there, all the trials, all the indictments, that sort of thing. Alan Dershowitz, famed Harvard law professor, hero to the left for many years, then villain of the left and hero to the right. And depends on his opinion on whatever case, uh, who likes him and who doesn't. But anyway, uh, here's what he had to say on a podcast this morning. And I predict there'll be some convictions. I think the strategy is to get bad convictions, but to get them fast in New York, in Florida, in Washington and in Fulton County. Then they'll be reversed on appeal, but they'll be reversed on appeal after the election. That's why everybody's rushing to get these cases tried. Everybody who is going after Trump, the whole get Trump approach is to get him before the election, convict him before the election. And he wins on appeal. All right. That's tomorrow's news. That's interesting. Let's hear a little more from Dershowitz and then we can discuss. The grand jury is meaningless. There are 23 or whatever number it is chairs that the prosecution moves around. If the prosecutor wants an indictment, she gets an indictment. So nobody should say, oh, my God, a grand jury, 23 people looked at the evidence and they said there was enough to indict. Ignore it. It's nonsense. The grand jury didn't decide anything. They rubber stamped something that the prosecutor put before them. And the best evidence is the prosecutor was so confident 
she was willing to put it on her website even before the vote took place. You know, it's <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, uh, 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 verdict first, uh, execution, and then trial. That's what we're having here. And well, well, first of all, the headline I saw about what Dershowitz said was, Dershowitz says all four trials will happen before the election and there will be convictions. Okay, it's a little misleading wow. from what wow. he uh, actually says there. The truth that misleads. Yep. I still haven't heard anybody address what my main question is. How did these all end up now during a presidential election? And not now. Now would be better. But they're going to be next year during the election. I mean, how the hell did this all this these calendars come together? Shouldn't somebody have to explain that? Well, I think Dershowitz did right there. I, I see what you're saying. Somebody on the prosecuting yeah, side right. ought to explain that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, with each case. Um, so all you individually, some of these are many years old. Some of them are just a year old, but doesn't matter. All of them converged on the year 2024 for when you need to have the, the trials. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. It, it is exactly what it appears to be. Wow, so he thinks they're going to try to just get any kind of sloppy conviction that would be appealed because mm-hmm. they think it'll damage him? Boy, I, that's reading the room incorrectly. That was the question I was going to ask. Uh, that would be my follow-up to Dershowitz. What are you assuming the effect of a couple of half-ass-ish convictions would be? His numbers go up 10 points? I mean, that's my prediction. It, it would not help him win the middle. No, 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 no. The general election? Yeah, the the... Conventional wisdom right now is all this stuff helps him get the nomination, hurts him in the general election, and I think that is right. Hmm. And it, you know, and I guess that's the ball game, uh, keeping him down for the general election. Coming up, the outsized and really interesting effect of women in politics and politics through college campuses. More data on that. We do four hours every day. If you miss an hour, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty on demand. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Sit down in your seat. Why? Go sit down in your seat. Where is she? Nobody else in the car. Please sit down in your seat. Where is she? Rosie, please sit down in your seat. Thank you. I'm good. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to have to end I'm the ride. Jump up there. No, you're not gonna I'm, jump I'm up there. I'm going to. Do it. No, as soon as I get to an exit that I can safely no. go. So pull. As soon as I get to an exit, ma'am. Ma'am, I'm, I'm not leaving you on the side of the freeway in the integrated state. Because you know what? Really? Um. Wow. Assuming that person was drunk, what was going on there? I I think that was supposed to be amusing. It was mostly tragic. Hammered chick in the back seat refuses to stay in her seat, wants to climb up front with the driver. <laughs> She's more than a little hammered. The Thinks there's driver. another person. We in a, on a plane we call him the pilot. Uh, yeah, she she thinks there's another person. Where is she? Where's who? You drunk dweeb. You puddle. <laughs> you puddle. So wow. Here's a tease for you. So I'm reading Mark Halperin's morning newsletter, and he said, the Wall Street Journal had the most important political sentence of the last 24 hours. Hmm. And I read it, and I think he's right with the stats to back it up around the whole Trump thing, obviously. Oh, okay. I can take a little more Trump. Yeah, it's interesting. So we'll get to that on the way. Do you want to vomit? Fantastic. Would you like to vomit in your mouth just a little bit? I'll hit you with this real quick. Oh, boy. No. No, I wouldn't. This is from the New York Times because it's Madonna's 65th birthday. Oh, boy. Okay, I can't resist. <laughs> Madonna is not merely a blinding blue star in a vast celebrity galaxy. She has accomplished what few artists and even fewer female artists have done. She has changed the world. That's parody, right? Yes, that that is clearly parody. That's the New York Times. She changed the world how? I am practiced in the art of parody, and surely that must be. She's, Overstatement she, for the purpose of humor. She has changed the world how? Wow. Wow. Well, look, we had drunk women, and then we had Madonna, and then this is about women, too, and I don't want to come off as any sort of misogynist, uh, since that's certainly not the case. Uh, among my core beliefs, and I believe Jack shares it, is is the, the, the there is a need for balance in both the individual and in a society. Wax on, wax off. Exactly. We need discipline and we need compassion. We need Navy SEALs and we need poets. We need men and we need women. Out of balance is when things get unhealthy. Diet as well. 
You need exercise and you need rest. Balance the yin, the yang. It's not an original thought, but it's an important one. And I believe uh, to not have women in the political system would be insane. Um, On the other hand, it's undeniable, as we were discussing the other day, and it's shocking that uh, in the most recent national elections, uh, let's see, married men voted Republican by 20 points, unmarried men by 7 points, married women by 14 points. Wait a minute. That's all three going Republican? That's correct. Unmarried women went Democrat by 37 points. Whoa! That's who votes Democrat. That and a preponderance of black people, which is un- unfortunate, in my opinion, if black America ever wants to see their, their dreams come true, you got to stop. But anyway, this is not about race. It's about uh, women, voters, specifically single women. But So that I found absolutely mind-blowing. Then this, a study came out recently that found that on average, women are less favorable to free speech and more favorable to censorship. They're uh, more favorable to other things like uh, it ought to be illegal to say this, that, or the other. And, and they go into the psychology of it that women, ha- women have a social strategy that works well for protecting their individual health and the health of their children, emphasizing safety, banding together, not a lot of dissent. Let's all hang together, which is fine and beautiful and part of the human equation. But what about if things got crazy wildly out of balance in a particular very influential part of society like for instance academia women are wildly disproportionately represented in the grievance studies disciplines like gender studies and 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 ethnic studies and critical race theory which are often little more than a vehicle for left-wing activism you wonder why all these women are coming out of college voting exclusively democrat and there's a chart um it shows the proportion of bachelor's degrees of awarded to women for different humanities disciplines Almost 80% of bachelor's degrees in ethnic, gender, and cultural studies are awarded to women. Just under 80%. It looks like 79.5, honestly. Um, Think about that. The grievance studies are wildly weighted toward females, and they're churning out a hell of a lot of them these days, educated, single women. Next chart shows the same information for doctoral degrees. Once again, the light green line at the top, which is cultural, ethnic, and gender studies, it's about 65% of doctoral degrees are awarded to women. It's a higher percentage than any other subject shown. It's uh, it's two-thirds. And as mentioned above, academia has a substantial left-wing skew. But this skew appears to be much greater among female academics than among male ones. The idea that academia swings left, Jack, I mean, obviously, that's that's old hat. Um, but uh, in a recent paper, a couple of scientists analyzed voter registration data on 4,000 U.S. academics. The ratio of Democrats to Republicans was 9 to 1 among men. Wow. 9 to 1. That is shocking idiotic if you're running a university where you expect people to learn about the world and politics and philosophy and the rest of it. Can you imagine an academy where people exchange ideas that's nine to one, one point of view over another? That's, That's unacceptable. 
and that's dudes. Women, it's t- almost 25 to 1. Wow. An alternative way to summarize this data is to say, well, 10% of male academics are Republicans, less than 4% of female academics are. And thanks to Mark Horowitz and his colleagues, we've also detailed surveys from two of the most left-leaning disciplines, sociology and anthropology. Table below shows the proportion of male and female sociologists who agreed and disagreed with various items. Compared to men, women were significantly more likely to say that sociology should be both a scientific and moral enterprise, and sociology should analyze and transcend oppression. They were less likely than men to say that more political conservatives would benefit this discipline and that advocacy and research should be separate for objectivity. Women objected or or denied that it was good to have advocacy and research separate. Similar uh, results in anthropology. um, And and we'll post all of this at armstrongandgetty.com because it gets into fairly granular detail. but the con the uh, the conclusion is compared to men women are less pro free speech and more pro censorship within academia itself they are more left wing more inclined toward activism and less inclined toward dispassionate inquiry and they're disproportionately represented in disciplines like race and gender studies it's important to note of course that this is not all women i'm only talking about averages some men are more pro censorship than most women and some women are more pro free speech than the vast majority of men Nevertheless, the differences do exist. And I'm glad he threw that in because that's very important to me. We have so many great, smart, reasonable women who listen to this show. The last thing I'm out to do is paint women in general as radical lefty numbskulls. But among womanhood, it does lean more that way. But you can't paint an individual. Finally, it's therefore plausible that the influx of women into academia over the last 30 years contributed to academia's leftward shift and to the rise of woke activism in particular. It's by no means the only contributor. Most of academia's leftward shift was probably caused by social homophily, political typing, discrimination, and other self-reinforcing processes to the extent that women's entry into academia did contribute contribute to its leftward shift the phenomenon can be considered one of several factors that led to the great awakening well two questions i have one it's uh, i can't imagine what's ever going to send this back the other direction to any sort of balance i don't know what will cause that but it has been a societal recognition that this is incredibly unhealthy but it has be the only thing it has been going on for a very long time william f buckley became famous as a very young man for writing God and Man at Yale in 1952, I think, pointing out uh, in that book that even though like 90% of the country was a, were practicing Christians at that time, there was like nobody at Yale that was. And just how mm-hmm. what, that doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, we've been on that road for a while, but it is definitely crazy out of balance now. Right, right. And for what it's worth, having read this entire thing a couple of times now, it is extremely restrained and responsible in both of its data and its conclusions it's the opposite of what the various you know soft i won't even call them sciences uh, soft studies are saying especially the women that research should not be separated from activism research should support activism these people took the opposite point of view 
they're they're they indeed did the research they have the data but are saying be careful interpreting it this because it's more than this it's a very traditional responsible science and i appreciate it we will post both of these pieces of journalism i think we did already but we'll repost them under hot links at armstrongandgetty.com we just got hit with an aristotle quote about this but i want to confirm it before i repeat it it's got a bit of the sound of if whenever you come across a quote that seems, oh, man, this is perfect. Just Google like to see if it's real. Because a lot of your Aristotle, Mark Twain, Abe Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson quotes are made up, all right? I think I know the Aristotle quote. Is it too many chicks on campus and things get weird? <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll wait to hear it from you then. All right. <laughs> Uh, the most important political sentence of the last 24 hours was in the Wall Street Journal, according to Mark Halpern. It's pretty interesting. That's around the Trump stuff and a bunch of other things on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. To have 19 defendants in six months after three years, three grand juries, uh, that seems quite ambitious, if not a little bit loony. I mean, you also have one defendant, Donald Trump, uh, who has a rather full dance card. He's being indicted around the country, or has been indicted. He's also being sued civilly. And so people have got to get in the line. Uh, it's not clear that how she thinks she can go to the, to the front of that line. You've got a special counsel who's also asking for a rapid trial. Things are going to be so crazy next year. Um, I misplaced my poll numbers, but I got them more or less in my head. It's close enough that since the indictment started, Trump has gone up like 15 to 20 points, depending on the poll, in terms of popularity in the Republican Party. Wow. And uh, whether or not people want him to be the nominee. Remember, he had a low point there after the most recent election, 22, when the... Um, uh, Republicans did much worse than they were expected to and all that sort of stuff. He had a low point there. He had announced he was running and everything like that, but he just he wasn't getting any traction. And, and so he had the lowest support in the party that ever. But then the indictments started coming, and he has just gone up, 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 up. And there's no reason to think that's going to stop, which kind of gets to this. This is, go ahead. Did you have something to say? Mm, I was no. just going to say that uh, I, I get the impulse when somebody's being run roughshod over, even if they're not a saint, you want to stand up for them. Well, you know, and I uh, had a mini rant a week or so ago just because I was so frustrated with the media coverage of all this stuff. I absolutely understand how when you when you watch the media coverage of the way they handle Trump versus the way they handle anything on the other side, I absolutely understand how it make you say, screw you, screw you. I'm going to do the very thing that you want the least. Exactly. Just because I hate you. Anyway, Mark Halpern writes in his newsletter today, the single most important sentence crafted in the English language in the last 24 hours is printed in the Wall Street Journal. It is this. It is unlikely any of Trump's legal problems will be adjudicated, adjudicated before the first votes are cast in Iowa and New Hampshire, the states that hold the initial nominating contest in January. Then... He prints the latest polls, average of all the polls, in which Trump is up by 40 points in New Hampshire with an average of all the polls and a good almost 40 points in Iowa and all the points, 30, 30 points in Iowa and all the polls. In mm. other words, none of these trials are going to finish up 
before those contests. He's way ahead in both those contests. If he wins right. them both, there isn't anybody saying that that's not a lock. There's no chance anybody comes back and beats him if he wins Iowa and New Hampshire. So there you go. He's the nominee. And I so think Halpern is, Halpern is more right than he thinks he is, because even if those trials did conclude and concluded with convictions, I don't think it would affect the support much. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And anybody who it's, oh, yeah, we'll tell President Scott Walker that, who was ahead at this Apple. Oh, everything is apples and oranges from the before times. Everything. Because just no, don't you think any previous um, data points just don't apply anymore? Well, yeah, that's true because the times have changed. Also, the comparison is just an idiotic one. Walker was a semi-well-known, reasonably effective, uh, moderate conservative uh, governor in Wisconsin. Trump is the best-known guy on the planet. He's already been president for four years. He about won re-election, and, and, and now he's leading in all the polls. It's a completely different situation. And one of the best politicians in the history of being politicians. Right. Uh, so, right. so the conversation should really move on to the next part, because I do buy the conventional wisdom that all of this makes it more likely he's the nominee and less likely he's the president. Um, yeah, I suppose yeah. if you're uh, in the Trump camp, you just think, well, you just, you know, you play your games one at a time. You win the nomination, and then you worry about that later. But Yeah. So as far as the trials go, I read uh, some pretty detailed analysis of it, and it uncovered a lot of things I hadn't considered in, 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 to the point of or the question of how soon they might be concluded. Several of them, Trump has a very, Trump and company have a very plausible uh, argument for moving them to federal court. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what happened occurred while he was president, and the supremacy clause and constitution and, and law says you can't have states prosecuting federal officials for federal stuff in state courts. It would just be insane. I get it. You got to move it to federal court. Then you got the fact that several Trump witnesses in one case are defendants in another. And some of the defendants in one case are witnesses in the other. So how the hell do you adjudicate who gets Fifth Amendment protection, how much, and in what cases, and for what questions? That's a nightmare. Then you have all the other standard hearings about evidence and, and discovery and executive privilege. And, and it's this is unspeakably complicated attorneys are going to make hundreds of millions of dollars and the idea that no 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 i think we can get this done before uh, iowa like uh, uh, turley said it's borderline loopy yeah so is there any is there any reason that trials can't happen at the same time i mean would that how? yes because some of the hearings could happen at the same time but the, the uh, defendant absolutely has the right to be there for the trial and judges are very deferential to each other if you say i can't be in the courtroom that day i'm in her courtroom that but day who, who gets superiority i mean who 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 gets to say no i should be first i have no idea um play 46 this is chris christie kind of weighing in on the the state version of this i'm a little bit concerned that this had more to do with ego than anything else that her office had put a lot of time into an investigation Jack Smith came in a number of months ago, swooped in, moved quickly, charged the case, and that, you know, at this point, you felt like, you know, I put all this time in, I should charge the president because I put my time in. 
I don't think that's the way you make these calls. So that's the the ego of the people in Georgia saying, no, 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 no. We put a lot of time and effort into this all this election overturning stuff. We're so that's you know who who gets to decide what trial goes first. Right, ego, and she is a Democrat elected official in a highly Democratic uh, place that wants her to hammer Trump. So, And in Georgia, they allow cameras in the courtroom. So that'll be quite the show. Hmm. All of it would be on television. That'll help wow. the country. That'll be good for the nation. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty, on demand. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.